welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a daiquiri. What do you have in Jenny? I have a glass of sangria, and today we're exploring the McMartin preschool trials and scandal of the 1980s and 1990s. The McMartin trials are known as the longest and most expensive criminal trials in American history. As a warning, this episode will feature extensive talk of child sexual abuse. The Virginia McMartin Preschool, located in Manhattan Beach, California, was owned and operated by the McMartin family, including Virginia McMartin herself, her daughter Peggy Bucky, and her children. Ray Bucky and Peggy Ann Bucky. The school opened in 1956 and was highly respected. The scandal began in August 1983 when Judy Johnson noticed her two-and-a-half-year-old son, who attended the McMartin Preschool on ten different occasions, had rectal irritation and blood in his diaper. She took her son to several pediatricians who could find nothing wrong with him. She went to another pediatrician who believed that her son's ailments were consistent with sodomy. Johnson then went to the police sharing her doctor's comments and told them that her son told her Mr. Ray had done it. Mr. Ray was 25-year-old Ray Bucky who worked as a school aide at the preschool. Johnson's son also named classmates who were present when the sexual abuse occurred. However, Johnson's son was, quote, unable to identify Ray from photos and medical investigations of the boy showed no signs of sexual abuse. Despite this, the police conducted searches of Ray's home and took a rubber duck, a graduation robe, a teddy bear, and Playboy magazines as evidence. Word spread amongst parents who called the preschool out of concern and inadvertently tipped off Bucky to the police's suspicion. Bucky was arrested in early September 1983 and was released a day later on bail. Following his arrest, Manhattan Beach police sent over 200 letters to McMartin students' families letting them know Bucky had been quote-unquote suspected of child abuse. The letter asked families to quote, question your child to see if he or she has been a witness to any crime or if he or she has been a victim, end quote. Police were asking for information on quote, oral sex, fondling of genitals, buttock or chest area, and sodomy, possibly committed under the pretense of taking the child's temperature. Also, photos may have been taken of children without their clothing. Any information from your child regarding having ever observed Ray Bucky to leave a classroom alone with a child during any nap period or if they have ever observed Ray Bucky tie up a child is important. End quote. Parents were understandably panicked. As the police investigated, Judy Johnson's allegations against the McMartin preschool grew strange. She claimed that Peggy Bucky, Ray's mother, took part in satanic rituals and that she took Johnson's son to a church where he was forced to watch a baby being beheaded and drink the blood. She maintained that, quote, Ray Bucky had sodomized her son while his head was in the toilet and taken him to a car wash and locked him in the trunk, end quote. Johnson also told police that Ray walked around the preschool in a quote-unquote cape and a Santa Claus costume and that he could fly. Johnson was believed to be an alcoholic and was later diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Families demanded a full-scale investigation into the McMartin preschool after receiving the police's letter and new accusations came into the police. Parents whose children made accusations were encouraged to send their children to Children's Institute International, or CII, in LA for two-hour interviews with their specialists. The CII's mission was to 
identify and treat abused children, and Key McFarland served as a consulting social worker with the organization. McFarland interviewed over 400 children using anatomical dolls and puppets who shared memories of abuse at the preschool. However, she and other staff at CII who were videotaping their interviews used a variety of leading questions like, quote, can you remember the naked pictures, end quote, and provided rewards to children who gave, quote unquote, right answers. Students were told that other kids had already shared, quote unquote, yucky secrets, so they needed to speak up. A child who denied abuse was even called a, quote unquote, scaredy cat. After the interviews, McFarland told parents that their children had been abused and described the nature of the alleged abuse with them. CII also shared their findings and demonstration videos with the media. By the spring of 1984, more than 350 preschool-aged students and former students claimed to have been abused. CII staff also believed the teachers were running a pornography ring, a claim prosecutors would adopt as well. In addition to those interviewed, 150 students had medical exams to determine whether or not they had been sexually abused. Dr. Atra Heger of the CII found that 80% of the CII found that 80% of the children she examined had been molested. Her findings were generally based on medical histories and her belief that, quote, any conclusion should validate the child's history, end quote, rather than physical evidence. Her initial set of examinations using a colossoscope revealed patterns of scarring that suggested sexual assault in only six cases. It's important to note that in those six cases, the sexual abuse could have happened at or outside of the preschool. However, other researchers would later claim that the scarring patterns Dr. Heger discovered were common even in children with no history of sexual abuse. And when a nationally recognized child abuse expert conducted blind studies using Dr. Heger's slides, the result was no correlation between the evaluation of medical experts. On March 22, 1984, a grand jury indicted Ray Bucky, Peggy Bucky, Peggy Ann Bucky, Virginia McMartin, and three other McMartin teachers, Mary Ann Jackson, Betty Rader, and Babette Spittler. They would later become known as the McMartin Seven. The grand jury initially indicted the McMartin Seven on 115 counts of child sexual abuse with 48 children. Two months later, 93 additional indictment counts were added. In June, Bell for Peggy Bucky was set at $1 million. Ray Bucky was held without bail. The preliminary hearings began in August 1984. Unlike the usual preliminary hearings in which the prosecution tries to demonstrate cause for bringing the defendant to trial and the defense passively observes, the defense in the McMartin hearing mounted a quote-unquote affirmative defense, aggressively cross-examining a parade of prosecution witnesses, including allegedly abused children, McMartin parents, therapists, and medical experts. The defense repeatedly tried to raise questions as to how abuse on such a massive scale could have have gone undetected for years and suggested that much of the testimony of the prosecution's child witnesses was not believable. Key McFarland testified that the abuse went on for so long that the children either suffered from quote-unquote denial syndrome or were afraid that revealing what happened could cause them or a family member to be killed. The defense played tapes that show therapist Sean Connerly telling a child interviewee that 183 kids had already revealed quote-unquote yucky secrets 
and that all the McMartin teachers were quote-unquote sick in the head and quote-unquote deserved to be beaten up. The children who testified at the hearing and sometimes took the stand for days on end shared bizarre stories that often had contradictions and inconsistencies. Children claimed sexual assaults took place everywhere from airports to farms to secret tunnels beneath the preschool. Several children reported being photographed while performing nude somersaults as part of the Naked Movie Star game. One child said that as the game was being played, the children sang, quote, What you see is what you are. You're a naked movie star, end quote. One boy alleged that the McMartin teachers took the children to a cemetery and forced them to dig up graves. Another claimed that the teachers performed animal sacrifices while wearing robes and that the children were forced to drink blood. There were also claims of children being flushed down toilets and transported to new locations via hot air balloons. In some instances, Ray Bucky was not working at the preschool when the accusations were said to have taken place. Searches of the McMartin Preschool and the staff's homes did not find any incriminating evidence. Though law enforcement and parents were adamant nude photos of children were taken, none were ever found. No secret rooms where alleged abuse took place were ever discovered by police. Evidence of backfilled tunnels were found beneath the school, but said tunnels were later determined to be trash pits from a previous landowner. According to Investigation Discovery, authorities reportedly, quote, searched 37 cars, 11 residences, 7 businesses, 3 churches, 2 airports, and a farm, only to come away with no physical evidence, end quote. Since a task force to assist the police was formed eight months into the investigation, skeptics felt enough time had passed that potential evidence might have been destroyed. After a December 1985 meeting involving over a dozen members of the district attorney's office, the decision was made to to drop charges against all defendants except Ray and Peggy Bucky due to lack of evidence. In July 1987, the trial of Ray Bucky and Peggy Bucky began. While the prosecution attempted to prove widespread sexual abuse of McMartin children, the defense tried to prove that the whole show was driven by the suggestive interview techniques of the crusading therapist of CII. Peggy's attorney also made it clear that the McMartin students, parents, and teachers were all victims of the overzealous prosecution. Several parent witnesses took the stand for the prosecution and shared that before the letter from police, they had no reason to believe their children had been sexually abused, but after taking their children to the CII, they were convinced their children had been victimized. Child witnesses also took the stand and shared many of the same stories from the preliminary hearing. Key McFarland defended her techniques during her five weeks on the stand, while a defense expert attempted to discredit her by comparing her tactics to essentially giving the children a script. The defense also aimed to discredit Dr. Astrid Heger's physical evidence. After almost 30 months of testimony, the jury left to deliberate on November 2, 1989. On January 8, 1990, after nine weeks of deliberation, the jury found both not guilty on 52 counts. They were, however, deadlocked on 12 molestation charges against Ray Bucky and one count of conspiracy against both Ray Bucky and Peggy Bucky. A mistrial was declared. In a press conference immediately after the trial, seven jurors admitted they believed that at least some of the McMartin preschoolers had been molested, but that the prosecution had failed to prove where, when, and by whom. The judge 
also dismissed the one conspiracy charge faced by Bucky. Parents and child welfare groups marched in protest of the verdict holding signs that read quote-unquote we believe the children, which had grown to become their motto. The public seemed to agree and one TV poll showed 87% of viewers believed Ray Bucky was guilty. Prosecutors were pressured to get justice for the children and decided to retry Ray on six counts of molestation. The second trial ended on July 27, 1990 with another deadlocked jury. Soon after, the prosecutor said Ray Bucky would not be tried again and all charges would be dropped. Ray Bucky spent a total of five years in prison and his mother Peggy spent almost two years in prison before supporters raised enough money for their bill. The McMartins spent millions of dollars in legal fees which left them bankrupt. Peggy Bucky said, quote, I've gone through hell and now we've lost everything, end quote. In an interview with Larry King, Ray said he wanted to be left alone. He also told CBS News, quote, those poor children went through hell, but I'm not the cause of their hell and neither is my mother. The cause of their hell is the adults who took this case and made it what it was, end quote. The Virginia McMartin Preschool was demolished in 1990. Judy Johnson, the mother who started the allegations of sexual abuse, died in 1986 from complications related to alcoholism before she could stand trial. The McMartin Preschool trials horrified the nation and led to many other preschool workers being wrongfully accused of sexual abuse and satanic practices. Many daycares across the country were forced to close their businesses due to the rising cost of liability insurance rates and changing policies. Despite the result of multiple trials, some McMartin student parents were still convinced their children had been sexually abused and felt betrayed by the justice system. Alleged victim Elizabeth Siofi is still adamant that Ray Bucky sexually abused her at two years old. In 2005, former student Kyle Zerpolo admitted to lying about being abused because of pressure he faced in interviews. Kyle said that his mother still believes that he had been abused despite his coming forward. There are also many members of the public who still believe the children's claims and the community of Manhattan Beach was divided during the trials. CII is still open, but they do not provide interviews, medical services, or make determinations on abuse. One positive to come out of the trials is that the tactics used in interviewing the McMartin children were studied by experts and used to help create better techniques for police and therapists when interviewing children. As we said at the top of the episode, the McMartin trials were some of the longest and most expensive criminal trials in American history, costing taxpayers $15 million. So what are your thoughts on the allegations, the case itself, and the trials of the McMartin preschool? So I think that the charges were absolute bullshit. I think that when you hear about the specifics and how wild and outlandish they are, they seem to have come from children trying to make things up to please the adults that were asking them really leading questions. And children are able to pick up on when adults want certain things things from them for them to say certain words or do certain actions and I think that in this case the children were picking up that the interviewers wanted them to describe outlandish claims of abuse and so that's what they gave them and the fact that there was no discernment between what could have actually happened that to me is the biggest injustice in this case. Why would you believe someone who says that they were forced to have their head in a toilet, that they got flushed down a toilet and transported to a hot air balloon? Like what kind of adult would believe that? 
And I don't blame the children at all. I think that they were tricked. And I think that they did suffer some type of abuse at the hands of the CII. Because if it wasn't for them, then the children would have no concept of some of the types of things that they were saying. And so what you essentially did was plant really horrific ideas in these children's heads just so that you can go after the McMartins and the Buckies and the preschool. And I think it's really sad about the other ramifications that came from this. You have the Buckies and the McMartins who lost everything, especially their reputation, their good name because of these allegations. And then you also had the nationwide effects of people being falsely accused. I definitely think that it's important that you listen to victims, but you have to balance that with the greater good and with physical evidence. What do you think? You really hit the nail on the head. And this is definitely one of those cases where sensationalism takes over and there's no skepticism. I do think it's a situation where no one wins because Ray Bucky wasn't necessarily like proven innocent. And the justice system kind of gave up in a way like they wanted to keep pursuing him. But then at the same time, people were kind of like, it's not worth it. But it's not worth it because there's no hard evidence that any of these allegations are true. And I think another reason why it's a shitty situation is because you do want to believe victims, especially children. You want to protect children and make sure that they're safe. But if there's no proof, you can't move forward with that. And I don't blame the parents for being so outraged. If I was a parent of one of the children, I would be appalled. And, you know, with the results of the justice system, I think it would take me a while to accept it. And I would probably still believe that my child was molested and sexually abused somehow. Obviously, there's like, mass hysteria which is understandable if this stuff was really happening it is a victimization of everyone involved the kids having to take the stand for so long and be questioned that's scary to have to get an interview is really scary and those interview techniques it's poor practices of the time kids can pick up on what adults want to hear like you said Dell. it's easy to kind of convince kids of things kids also make things up not to say that you know all of these claims that children were making were false because I agree with the jury that some of these kids probably were sexually abused but the prosecution couldn't prove who when and like where this happened and one of the jurors said that his biggest red flag was that the children weren't able to speak in their own words and I think that's really well put the McMartin preschool trial was one of the most high profile cases associated with the satanic panic The Satanic Panic or the Satanic Ritual Abuse Scare began in North America during the 1980s and lasted through the 1990s. The period was defined by moral hysteria and claims of underground satanic cults performing child sexual abuse, animal sacrifice and mutilation, human sacrifices, and abductions of teenagers. People felt youth were being indoctrinated into worshipping Satan and joining cults through things like violent and fantasy video games, heavy metal music, and horror movies. Dungeons and Dragons was often criticized for evil symbolism, and musicians were accused of hiding satanic messaging in their music. These cults were believed to be run in a highly structured manner by a secretive network that included everyone from police to clergy members to affluent community members in order to fully infiltrate communities. Virtually anyone could be a Satanist. 
During its time, the satanic panic led to many criminal investigations based on little to no evidence of an actual occurrence of satanic activity or any criminal activity whatsoever. It was often the first-hand testimony of children claiming they were abused that caused many innocent people to serve time in prison. Reviews of some of these cases have shown that much of this testimony was gained through coercive practices. The establishment of fundamental Christianity in North America, the moral majority political organization, and misleading media reports contributed to the growing controversy of the existence of satanic cult. Some say the satanic panic began with the release of the book Michelle Remembers. The book is a biographical account of the repressed memories of the childhood ritual abuse purportedly suffered by Canadian psychiatric patient Michelle Smith. Written by Smith and her psychiatrist Lawrence Pazder, whom she later married, Michelle Remembers detailed the abuse that Smith alleged she experienced at the hands of her mother and other members of a satanic cult during the mid-1950s in her native British Columbia. No evidence to support Smith's memories and allegations were ever found. Pastor, who was originally treating Smith for depression following a miscarriage, helped Smith surface these memories by means of regression hypnosis, a highly controversial psychotherapeutic technique whose validity has been widely called into question by members of the mental health community. The book was very popular and Smith was invited onto many American talk shows, including the Oprah Winfrey show to talk about her abuse. And whenever she was on these shows, her word was taken completely seriously. No one really ever questioned any of her claims. And her appearances caused many more people to come forward with repressed memories of abuse at the hands of satanic cults. So many cases of alleged satanic cults and abuse were popping up that law enforcement were getting trained on how to spot signs of satanic ritual abuse. However, what defined quote-unquote satanic ritual abuse was never clearly defined. Despite the increasing numbers of reports and people believing claims of satanic abuse, there was virtually no evidence to corroborate the existence of widespread satanic cult activity. In 1992, the Department of Justice put out a report written by Kenneth Lanning, supervisory special agent with the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit, debunking the belief of mass satanic cults and abuse in the United States. The report also focused on the importance of acknowledging complexities around child abuse and not simplifying them. Lanning said, quote, regardless of intelligence and education, and often despite common sense and evidence to the contrary, adults tend to believe what they want to or need to believe. The greater the need, the greater the tendency. There was a need to believe. In my opinion, this concept more than any quote-unquote moral panic was the foundation of satanic ritual abuse allegations. The need to believe the children even without corroboration. If you do not believe everything a victim alleges, what do you believe? End quote. And it's important to remember that though it's hard to prove, some of what children who were alleging during the satanic panic could be true. And I really liked this quote Lanning said, quote, the focus on the satanic or bizarre elements did not prevent investigators from doing their job. It just made it difficult to prove what actually happened. Most people would agree that just because a victim tells you one detail that turns out to be true, this does not mean that every detail is true. But many people, and the criminal
criminal justice system seem to believe that if you can disprove one part of a victim's story, then the entire story is false. I believe people should be considered innocent unless proven guilty, but I also believe that a certain number of these cases involved a seed of truth that got buried, end quote. Michelle Remembers was eventually debunked, but neither Smith or Pazder renounced the book's allegations, and Pazder actually served as a expert on satanic ritual abuse during the McMartin trial. We also wanted to note that recovered memory therapy and hypnosis is still in practice today despite it being a scientifically discredited form of psychotherapy. Del, I am so fascinated by the satanic panic. What are your thoughts on everything that we just shared? Because I know you're pretty interested in it too. Absolutely. I think that it was definitely mass hysteria and I don't think that there was ever a widespread group of people that were committing horrific acts against children, other people, and animals. I definitely agree with Lanning when he says that there are crumbs of truth in these stories, but they are hidden by all of the satanic panic elements that have been brought along with them. I wish there was a way for us to know the ultimate truth about what happened to those children, both in the McMartin cases and the other similar cases that popped up around the same time period. How about you? Absolutely. I think it kind of just goes to show like practices of the times too. Like we now know that eyewitness testimony and like memory are not as reliable as we maybe once thought they were. And I completely agree with Lanning that there is some truth to some of these things. One thing that I thought was pretty interesting that I was reading from, she was a psychologist, I believe, that did try to research the number of like satanic groups in the country. She did say that if you maybe were raised in a very Christian household and someone did sexually abuse you, you might think of that as like a satanic practice, like anything violent and obscene, abusive, you would think of as like a satanic thing, a not Christian, not good thing, which I thought was pretty interesting. There are obviously people that do things because of the devil. I mean, we just talked about David Berkowitz for a little bit in our last episode. I don't think it's anything that's been going on for so long because there's no evidence. I think there would be something by now. I know that these people are supposed to be so secretive. They all have each other's backs. They immediately know how to take care of the body so that it'll never be found. But someone would have cracked. There would have been some type of evidence by now. I don't think that many people can hold a secret for that long. And like you were saying, Del, there's definitely kernels of truth in all of this. And I'm glad that Lanning did mention like the need to believe children because I guess it is kind of a good and a bad thing. No one wants their child to be sexually assaulted or harmed in any type of way. In some instances, you know, maybe a child took something wrong. Maybe they were afraid something was going to happen and they completely took the situation the wrong way. Del, do you think the satanic panic is going on today in any form? Yes, absolutely. I think that people always need to find a reason for things that they don't understand and blaming Satanists and people that they think are Satan worshipers has always been an easy go-to. I do think it's going on still to an extent and as I was going through this I was really reminded of QAnon with a lot of this stuff. The blame just shifted from daycare workers to like liberal politicians and Hollywood and affluent people on a certain political spectrum. Not to say that no people in any 
any of these groups ever do bad things to people. But a lot of these claims have no evidence and it's dangerous to keep believing something when there's no evidence really. To say that it's such a large spread thing and that you're like the smartest person in the room because you believe in that. Not to say that like just because I don't see something myself and have evidence for it doesn't mean I automatically disbelieve it but when these allegations get to with McMartin preschool kids getting flushed down the toilet there's no way that could happen and I think people just need to take a step back and just think like why do I believe this so strongly I also think like in regards to QAnon and kind of in regards to the satanic panic there are obviously horrible things happening to children we know that children are sex trafficked all over the world human trafficking is a horrible thing that is an issue that is pretty hidden but I think when these groups latch on to these causes it really delegitimizes them and it's really dangerous that wraps up this week's case thank you for listening let us know in the comments what you think about the McMartin trials you can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below as always stay safe